you have your Bibles, open them to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. made into a song probably in the 80s, mid-80s, that, that I can recall that it was recorded, and called The Touch of the Master's Hand. And I want to talk to you about the touch that changes everything. If, if you've never heard it, let me just share with you the words of the poem. It's beautiful. It says, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it was scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bidding, good folks?' he cried. "'Who'll start the bidding for me?' A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two, two dollars, who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no, from the room, far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as caroling angels sing. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, and who'll make it two? Two thousand, and who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried, We do not understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once and going twice. He is going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's been wrought by the touch of the master's hand. That is a beautiful poem. It's written in uh, the 1920s by a lady named Myra Brooks Welch. And uh, Myra came from a musical family. Her family all played instruments. And she was at a conference one time with a bunch of young people. And the Lord kind of began to speak to her at that conference. And she said it was almost like a, a light from heaven kind of filled her mind. And she said that she sat down and wrote that song in about 30 minutes, or the poem in about 30 minutes. Um, its popularity uh, spread after she had submitted it to her church bulletin. Uh, as a young person. So she takes it, writes it out, and gives it to the church as a bulletin and signed it anonymous, uh, figuring that God gave it to her and she didn't want any credit for it either. And so uh, it's printed in the bulletin. Someone else gets it and they print it in a magazine. Someone else prints it in a book. And it's going on and on. And they're so excited about this touch of the master's hand. And it's anonymous the whole time. Finally, at a large conference, they say that her son was attending and they got up and they read that poem and they mentioned that it was author unknown. And her son stood up in the back of the room and he said, I know the author and it's about time that the world did too. It was written by my mother, Myra Welch. So then her name became associated with the song along with a lot of other poems that she had written and she became quite famous. But what the world didn't see was the woman who created those masterpieces. Listen to the description. Myra in her wheelchair, battered and scarred from severe arthritis, which had taken away her ability to play music. Instead, her musical soul spoke through her poetry. She would take one pencil in each of her badly disabled hands 
and using the eraser in, she would slowly type the words, and the joy of them outweighed the pain of her efforts. Her words were a joyous expression of the wonders of life as seen by a singing soul touched by the master's hand. She understood just what God had done for her, and he can use any one of us if we'd only let him do that. God can take, no matter how battered and how beat up we are, no matter how bruised the world has left us, he can take us and do something great with us. That's the power in God's touch. In Matthew chapter 8, we're going to find a, an amazing, it's actually a series of miracles that take place. But we're going to focus in on the healing of the leper. But just to lead us up to the, the healing of the leper, let me just share with you some healings that take place. First of all, Jesus heals the leper, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And the leper tells us right away that Jesus has come to reach out to society's outcasts. And we'll talk more about that, but lepers were outcasts from society. And aren't you glad that Jesus did come for the outcasts? He didn't just come for the religious folks. He didn't just come for the people that had it all together. He came for the people that no one wanted anything to do with. And then he goes on in the same chapter, and he heals the centurion's servant. A Roman centurion comes to him, and he says, Back at the house, one of my servants has fallen gravely ill, and I know that you can heal him. I've seen what you've done. And, and so Jesus begins to go and visit the man, but the, the centurion says, No, you don't even have to go see him. We believe you could heal him from right here if you just wanted to. And he did. And that passage, is that miracle, tells us that Jesus came for all races, it wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for his own people. He came for the Gentiles. He came for the Romans. He came for the Greek. He came for you and I. He came for the black. He came for the Mexican. He came for the white. He came for the Indian. He came for the Chinese. He came for all the nations of the earth, not just one people. And I'm glad we have a Savior like that, amen? And we ought to follow in his step, by the way. And then he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And Peter probably wasn't real happy about that, obviously, but his mother-in-law had fallen sick, and so he was happy about it, Joyce. Don't get upset. Uh, but his mother had fallen sick. <laughs> and so Jesus goes, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And in doing that, Jesus was setting the tone, saying, I've not just come for men, but I've come for men and women. And so he's kind of covering all the bases. I've come for all races. I've come for the outcasts of society. He heals the mother-in-law, and he says, I've come for men and women. And then it says that he gathered together all that were possessed and sick, and he healed them also. Jesus is doing all these healing. And in that final healing of all the masses, he's really telling us that he is the Messiah. Because really he quotes in Matthew from Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, when it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And it ends by saying, with his wounds we are healed. And Jesus fulfilled that right there in Matthew chapter 8. He lived up to that. He was telling them, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And by my wounds you're healed. I'm the one that will save this world from its sin. But today I want to focus on this leper. What an amazing account. In chapter 8, verse 1, it reads... When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And so I want to talk to you today about three things. One is the crowd that followed Jesus. 
And then I want to talk to you about the leper himself. Most importantly, I want to talk to you about the touch that changed his life. And so as we begin, just think about the crowd that followed Jesus. It says that that day there were many crowds that followed him. And he was performing miracles. He was doing all sorts of things. And so it was kind of normal that that would take place. There were instances in the scripture where when Jesus would teach that the crowds would come around him in such force that in one instance he actually got onto a boat and moved offshore just a little bit and taught from there. There were other times when the crowd was so enormous that Jesus would actually teach and then get away from the crowd so that he could rest and spend time with his disciples. The crowd would gather. And I think as a pastor, I see that sometimes, and, and that's what we want to hone in on sometimes as leaders of churches. We want to draw a crowd to God's house, don't we? I mean, church is always best when church is full. That's, that should be our desire. Not because we want to count every head, not because we want a number for the board, but because we want every man, woman, boy, and girl to hear the gospel of Christ. The more people that come into our doors, the more people hear the gospel. And that's good news. That's good news. But Jesus drew a crowd, and I think we could learn a lot from the way he drew his crowd. The first way that he drew his crowd was that they were amazed by his teaching. It says in Matthew chapter 7, and by the way, in Matthew 7, he has just delivered probably the greatest message ever delivered, the Sermon on the Mount. No preacher will ever do better than the Sermon on the Mount. And so he teaches this amazing message. And then in chapter 7, verse 28, it says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. They said, this guy is amazing. The message that he's teaching, and, and he had always been that way. Even as a young boy, when he came up missing one time, Mary and Joseph were frantically searching for him, and they find Jesus in the temple talking to the scribes and, and the religious leaders, and they're asking him questions, and he's answering, and they are astonished at him. They say, this, this is unreal. How can he know these things? And you and I obviously know he wrote the book. I mean, if anybody could teach God's word with authority, it'd be the guy who wrote the book, amen? And so... His teaching drew crowds. And I think the number one thing that we need to do is maybe quit worrying about crowds and just focus on teaching and preaching God's Word. And believe it or not, that's a rare thing in the day and age that we live. That when you go to a church that's a Bible-preaching church, those are hard to find nowadays. Because the Bible tells us in the last days that men and women would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That there are those that come to church and if they hear a message that steps on their toe a little bit or makes them feel uncomfortable, they'll go find somewhere else to go. And they'll flock and they'll, they'll kind of gather themselves together where they feel comfortable with the message. And there are many churches today that you could be in for years and maybe never even hear the gospel. Never hear about sin. Never hear about hell. Never hear about the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught the word. And that drew a crowd. Several weeks ago, we were all upset about some of the decisions that the Supreme Court made. And really, you know, as frustrating as it may seem, I think that those decisions make what we're doing here even more valuable. And a lot of churches have fallen into line, and, and they've went ahead and gone the way of the world, and they're just a condoning sin. And I think churches that will stand for God's Word are super important, amen? Because there are fewer places today that we can go and really hear God's word preached and taught with authority and with accuracy. Jesus built that crowd, gathered the crowd by his teaching. And uh, it will not be easier, but we're going to keep preaching and teaching the truth. Amen? And God help us if we ever forsake that. 
The second thing he did that drew a crowd was that he performed some miracles. In fact, it tells us in Matthew chapter 4, after he's done a few miracles there, it says, so his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those who are oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And then it says, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond Jordan. So the second thing he did, he not only there was the teaching of the word that attracted the crowd, but it was the miracles that attracted the crowd. And this morning, I, I'm not about to pull you up here and, and slap you on the head and attempt to heal you myself, but we serve the same God that did miracles in the Bible. We serve the same God that caused the leper to be healed, that caused Peter's mother-in-law to be healed, that caused the centurion's servant to be healed. We serve the same God that called Lazarus forth from the tomb, the same God, by the way, that divided the Red Sea, that put plagues upon the land. We serve that same God. He's not lost any of his power or his ability to do great miracles. But I think sometimes we get so wrapped up on these miracles that are so evident on the outside that we perhaps miss the greatest miracle that God ever does, and that's changing the heart of a man or a woman. In fact, in the day and age we live, isn't it amazing what doctors and scientists can do? There are things today that people go into the, into the office for, and they have what they call in and out surgery or same-day surgery, and they do surgery like that and go home the same day. And they're suffering from things that maybe a generation ago people would have died from. But doctors have become so advanced. And by the way, God gives them that ability. God blesses us with knowledge. And so we we still have to give God the glory there. Sister Jill, our own uh, guitar player up here, just uh, a couple years ago was deaf. And now she hears. I mean, is that not a miracle? And yet a doctor had his hand in that. And so when we look at some of the miracles that we get so wrapped up in, I want to see miracles. We see them all the time. Maybe we just don't give God the credit. And maybe we're so focused on, I want to see crippled walk, and I want to see the the blind see and the deaf hear, that we miss that greatest miracle of all. When a sinner walks into God's house and hears the message of the gospel and repents of their sin and gets up from that altar, the Bible says that they become a new creature in Christ. The old sin is literally washed away, and they get up and they leave this building a new play, a new person. That's a miracle. And maybe you know some miracles. Maybe you know some folks that, man, before they got saved, you'd have never dreamed they'd have ever had their life on the straight and narrow. But you know them today, and, and we get so comfortable with that, we need to step back once in a while and say, man, what a miracle God did in their life. And it might be that you have someone in your life today that you're praying for, someone that's lost, someone that's without Christ, and maybe they're on drugs or alcohol, or maybe they're in prison, or maybe they're out just living for the world, and you think they're never going to change, and you're almost ready to give up. Don't give up because we serve a God that does miracles. And really what drew the crowd that day was changed lives, if you will. Because when Jesus would heal these people, their lives would change dramatically. I mean, the man who was there beside the temple, beside the pool, when Jesus approached the the man who had been lame for so long, and Jesus said, do you want to be healed? He says, I want to be healed. And Jesus, pick up your bed. Go. Walk. And he walked. But do you realize what an impact that would have had on his life? 
This leper himself that Jesus heals in this passage, he, had, he was an outcast from society. When you had leprosy, you were cast out. You were alone. Nobody wanted to be near you. Do you realize what kind of change Christ brought into his life that day he healed him? It is an amazing thing. God does miracles. In fact, that leper probably went home that night for the first time in a long time to his own house. He'd been an outcast from society, banned because of his disease, separated not just from the world, but even from family. And when Jesus performed that miracle, maybe for the first time in years, he went home to be with his family. What an amazing thing. The following week, he probably got up. colony, waiting to have food brought to them, waiting maybe for supplies to be brought to them. And all of a sudden now, he's able to get up and go somewhere and work. Changes that take place in life. And you know that God does those kind of changes in our lives? He changes us. And changed lives will always draw a crowd. There are times when we've seen people come to know the Lord and their friends, maybe a year or two later, look at their life and say, I don't know what's happened to you but you've changed. In fact, this morning in American Canyon, the pastor who is there preaching now, when he came to our church, he came straight from prison to the church. And uh, he began lifting weights. We did a bunch of stuff just to disciple him and train him. He felt like God began to call him to preach. He ended up getting married, having children. And we would go out on visitation from time to time. And it was amazing that we'd run into people. Of course, when you're a drug dealer, you kind of know a lot of people. And so he'd run into people from his past, and, and they'd always look at him and they'd go, Mike, is that you? And he said, yeah, that's me. And he looked so different. And he was dressed with a shirt and tie on. And, and they said, what happened? And he says, I found the Lord. And he changed my life. And, and all of a sudden, prison's not a revolving door for me. My whole life has changed. I'm married. I've got kids. I'm going to church. I've got a, a great job. He says, God's changed me. And little by little, those friends began to come around the church because they wanted to see what changed his life. And that church began to grow because of a changed life. God changes lives. God changes lives. And so the crowd came that day to hear the message, and they came because of the changed lives. But then we also see the leper. We talked about the crowd, but the leper, he's not the star of the story. Jesus would be the star. But the leper's an important part in this story. The crowd's just a, a sidelight. But the leper and Jesus are what this story is about. And the Bible says that a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I love that. He said he had that kind of faith that said, Lord, I know if you wanted to, you could heal me. That's faith. That's faith. And every one of us should have that kind of faith in the God that we serve. That no matter what the circumstances we're facing, no matter how difficult it seems, it may seem impossible right now to accomplish what we need to in life. But the God that we serve can make anything happen. He can do anything. So he comes and he says, Lord, if you want, you could heal me. Jesus noticed the leper, uh, and he took time for the leper. That's an amazing thing, that he would even take time for him. And really, that's the way we should be. Unfortunately, today, we have what maybe we could be described as modern-day lepers, don't we? Outcasts from society. People that maybe, like they avoided lepers in the New Testament, people that maybe the church avoids 
in the day and age that we live. Maybe the drug addicts could be considered the lepers of our day. And isn't it true that many times when we see someone and we realize that they're under the influence of drugs, many people do all they can to steer clear of those people. But I don't think that's what Jesus would have done. And I think he proved it when he took the time for this man plagued with leprosy. It might be the drunks, or it could be the ex-convicts. It could be the teenage girl that shows up pregnant, and all of a sudden everybody wants to talk behind her back. She might be the leper of our day. But Jesus took time for the leper, and so should we. Anyone that God puts in our path, regardless, amen, of what they look like, of what they talk like, of what they smell like, anyone that God puts in our path is a soul that God loves, that he died for, that he wants to reach, and they need Jesus to take notice of their life and to do something great in their life. Leprosy was a a very serious disease. I did a little studying on leprosy, and these were some of the symptoms that are mentioned. It says that the symptoms of leprosy were uh, horrific. It included changes in the skin, mucous membranes, and peripheral nerves. In the skin, there are often patches of depigmentation, but rarely a loss, a total loss of pigment. So a pure white patch of skin is definitely not a characteristic of leprosy. In other words, they were spotted. There were areas that were real pure white and areas that were their normal skin color. And so they began this splotchy appearance. There was a loss of sensation to touch and temperature. And it is frequently associated with the depigmented patches. So they didn't feel temperature, heat. They didn't feel wounds even. They could be cut and not even realize they were cut. And because of that, many lepers would walk around with bandages on their hands where they had lost fingers or lost an entire hand from a wound that they didn't even know happened. There was a thickening of the skin and nodule formation on their faces that would give them a lion-like facial appearance, the author said. And so their, their face began to deform and shape funny, almost like... that was dreaded. There was peripheral nerve involvement that would cause paralysis of a hand or a leg or even the face. It might have caused the loss in sensation so complete that they would injure or ulcerate to an extreme, to extremity that might occur to the afflicted person not even knowing it. And it says the eyes, the ears, and the nose were also frequently involved. You would see lepers that perhaps would walk up and have an ear missing or their nose movie out, and I went and seen it, and one of the guys that survived this thing, he survived, and he's here today, I mean, he's around today, and his nose was missing from frostbite, and it was a hideous, but that's what these lepers looked like. There's a lady that maybe you've heard of, Mother Teresa, we're not Catholic by any means, but Mother Teresa spent a lot of time dealing with lepers. In fact, I was reading one instance that they said they took her to the place the first time where the leper colony was and to a cave, actually, an entrance. And they would go and they would leave food there for the lepers and then back away and stand at a far distance because they were afraid they'd catch leprosy. So they gave Mother Teresa hers and she walked up to the entrance of the cave and just kept walking and went right on into the cave. 
They said that when they found her, she actually had set the food down and she was hugging and praying with love. Poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty, she says. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love, and there is a hunger for God. And so when we talk about lepers, as dreaded as that disease is, Mother Teresa acknowledged that we have an even worse disease in the world today. And she used terms like unwanted, unloved uncared for, lonely, despairing, hopeless, dying for love, spiritual poverty, hungering for something, hungering for God, all the things that we might associate with a leper who was an outcast of society, she says society suffers from those same things. And so when we think of the leper, we ought to maybe think of ourselves a little bit. Another writer said, leprosy was one of the most loathsome and dreaded diseases known to the people. The leper was an outcast, compelled to keep away from even his own family. The disease was a slow, progressive death. The victim's body becoming increasingly deformed until death ended in misery. No other disease more aptly illustrates, he says, the defilement of sin. And in fact, in the Bible, many times when someone had leprosy, it was just automatically assumed that they were cursed by God that they were sinful, and that's why that they had the disease. But the truth is, the leper, like the leper, every one of us is sick. Every one of us. If sin is a leprosy, you and I need to understand that we are all infected, every one of us, with sin. The Bible says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Every one of us have sinned. In fact, Romans 3.23 tells it very clear, doesn't it, when he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If leprosy is a sin, we've all been infected. Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous. No, not one. And in fact, he uses the illustration in the Old Testament. He says all of our righteousness is counted as nothing but filthy rags. What an amazing thing to realize when we have pity on the leper in the Bible, and yet God tells us that every one of us is infected with a disease, with a sickness that leads to death. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul made it very clear that God quickened us or made us alive. And he says that we were once dead in our trespasses and sin. And so we are all infected. And if sin is a leprosy, we also need to understand that there's only one cure. You can look anywhere you want to try to cure this sin disease. Nothing can cure it. No counselor can cure it. 
No program can cure it. No psychologist can cure it. No good works can cure it. It's not like you can go to the gym and get spiritually healthy. It's not like you can go on Weight Watchers and make yourself become spiritually in shape. The only cure for sin is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. First Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, he says, you have been healed. There's only one cure for our disease, and that's Jesus Christ. And not only that, but we need to understand that this sin has infected us. We need Christ. We've all sinned. We'll all die because of our sin, and there's one cure. And we could really learn a lot from the leper and how he dealt with his disease. The Bible says that the leper came to him. And really, I think what he's telling us is the leper had a desire to be healed. And who wouldn't with that disease? And yet, what a thing that we need to learn is that if we ever want to do something with our lives, it begins with us coming to Christ. It begins with us wanting to be healed. You see, you could be here this morning, and your life could be a wreck. Maybe uh, everything that could possibly be going wrong is going wrong right now in your life, but it will never change until you finally come to a place when you say, God, I want you to do something with my life. God, I give up trying to run this thing. I've been running it this long, and I've got nothing to show for it. God, please take my life and do something with it. So the leper came to Jesus. He had a desire to be healed, and he was humble. It says that he knelt before Jesus. And you know, the truth of the matter is, many folks will never be cured of their sin just simply because of pride. That man had leprosy. He was an outcast from society. He came kneeling at the feet of Jesus, realizing that there was nothing he could do about his sickness, and he had to throw himself at the mercy of a Savior who could heal him. And yet men and women today sometimes are so filled with pride that we think we can straighten our own lives out. We can fix whatever's messed up in our own lives. In fact, many people, when invited to come to church, they say, well, I've got some things I need to clean up in my life first, and then I'll go to church. I've got some stuff I've got to take care of. I I would never want to go to church in the condition my life's in, so I'm going to clean up my life, and then I'm going to go to church. We need to be like the leper and go to church and humbly seek Christ and say, God, you clean me up. God, you heal me, because only you can. And the leper that day had faith, didn't he? He said, Lord, if you will, you could heal me. He knew that for a fact. And I think we could learn something from that, is that we need to have that kind of faith that knows that if we would surrender our life, God would do something with it. That faith that is sometimes frightening to let go, Sometimes it's difficult for us to really see how how is this all going to work out? How how is the fact that I bow my head, confess my sins, and ask Jesus into my how is that going to fix what's going on in my life? Take a step of faith and find out. Because the God that we serve can do anything. And so we see the leper, and we have a lot to learn from him. But this morning, probably the most important part of this passage is the Savior that touched him that day. The Bible says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. 
That's an amazing thing, really. And we read over that, and, and sometimes I don't think we think enough about what he just said. The fact that Jesus would touch that man that day said something. He didn't have to touch him. Remember the centurion's servant that we talked about? The centurion comes to Jesus and says, my servant's sick. I need you to, I, he needs to be healed. And Jesus said, let's go. And the centurion said, no, you don't need to come to our house. You could heal him right now if you wanted to. And he did. He wasn't even in his presence. So we need to know that Jesus didn't have to touch the leper that day. He chose to. He could have just looked at the man and said, be healed. But he chose to touch him. And the touch shows the great love that God has for him. He wanted to be close to him. He wanted to express, this is more than just an arm's length transaction. I, I want to touch you. I want to be close to you. I want you to know that I love you. Jesus chose to touch that man that day. You know what? He wants to touch your life today. Not just from a distance. Not just you bow your head and you pray and, and God in heaven somewhere hears that prayer and does something. He could do that. But I believe with all my heart today, Jesus wants to touch your life. He wants you to know how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. Not only did he touch the man to show his love, but he touched the leper who was still diseased. And I thought about that. If, if I was to have the power to heal that leper that day, I don't know that I would have touched him. But Jesus did. He didn't have to. And he certainly didn't have to touch the man until after he was healed. I mean, the logical way that we would think of it would be, be healed, and when the leprosy disappears, then touch him, right? No, Jesus touched him while the face was still a mess, while the skin was still a mess, while the eyes were still dripping. Jesus touched him while he was still a mess. And you know what? Jesus wants to touch our lives even while we are still a mess. In fact, the Bible tells us that God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for good people. He didn't die for church people. He didn't die for your Sunday school teacher or your pastor or your musicians up here or the greeters. He didn't die for these people that we love so much. He died for every one of us at our very worst. Just like he touched that leper the day, that day at his very worst. And not just that, but Jesus' touch transformed his life. Changed it. Like I mentioned earlier, Maybe for the first time in a long time, that man went home that day. Even the healing act. As a leper, can you imagine being isolated from everyone? And that day, as Jesus touched him, that might have been the first time anybody without leprosy had touched him in a long time. It might have been the first act of love directed his way. It's the touch of Jesus. And I imagine... Can you imagine what it would have felt like that day is you look down and you see your hands healed. I just can't help but think that that leper looked and saw this and went running to Jesus and wrapped his arms around him. The first time he 
No more pain. No more deterioration of the body. It's all changed. Thank you, Jesus Christ. There was no more shame. He didn't have to go around giving forewarning, hey, I'm about to come through town and I'm diseased. You might want to get out of the way. No more shame in that. There's no more rejection. No more, as he walked through town, little children running in fear. No more loneliness. One day, one moment, is a lesson. And the next moment, Father God, healed, cleansed, cured. And God said, you can enjoy that for me if you allow me to help you. God's done some miraculous things for himself right now. In fact, when you go through the miracles, it's hard to find a miracle where Jesus heals someone because he does it. touched Jacob in a dream and changed Jacob's life forever. He went from being one who was deceptive to being the father of a great nation. He touched the disciples. When he first met them, they were just fishermen, tax collectors, common men. But when Christ touched their lives, they became the founders of the church. They became great missionaries, evangelists, pastors. They turned the world upside down with the gospel because Christ touched their lives. What could he do if he touched our lives? A couple weeks ago, we had the opportunity to go hear the Bill Gaither homecoming concert, a last-minute deal, and we went. And uh, i got to tell you, Sister Nita and Sister Opal, they are partiers. Both of them are significantly older than Kathy and I. And at intermission, Kathy and I looked at each other and looked at them, and we said, you guys want to go home now? And they said, no, and my heart sank. I was tired. I was worn out. I wanted to go home. And they said, no, we're going to stay. The second half's going to be better. And it was. They were right. They stayed awake and laughed and had a good time through the whole thing. And that thing went on from 7 to 11 o'clock at night. I felt so old that night. But Bill Gaither, of course, has written many songs. And in 1963, he had already written 50 songs, but none of them had really attracted any attention. None of them were songs that people knew. But in 1963, he wrote a song about the leper called He Touched Me. He wrote the song, and what made it popular was a more well-known gospel singer who probably is not that well-known today, Doug Oldham, got a hold of the song. And Doug Oldham sang the song, and it became pretty popular. And then a rather obscure character named Elvis heard the song. And Elvis contacted them and said, I'd like to record that song. And he had an album in 1963, and the album title was He Touched Me. 
Listen to the words. It says, shackled by a heavy burden, neath the load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. Since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout it while eternities roll. Listen, this morning, God can touch your life just like he touched the leper that day. He can transform your life, change it in such a way folks will say, what happened? How did that happen? He could change your relationships right now. You may have relationships that are broken and think there's no way these will ever be mended, but with the touch of Jesus, he can change that. You may have some type of habit, some type of addiction, and you, you may think, there's no way I can ever break this. I try so hard not to do this thing, and yet I end up back at it again. I'll always have this. If Jesus can touch you this morning, he can change that. No matter what it is that's going on in your life, the touch of, the, the touch of Christ makes the difference. Would you stand with me?